0: A medley, wouldn't it? Amen. That's a good one. I like it. All right. Psalm fifty-one tonight. Thank you, Mrs. Williams. Psalm fifty-one. Occasionally, the Lord will give me a passage of Scripture, and I just I can't get away from it. And He'll give me this passage, and He'll say, "That's what I want." As I begin to. Now I know Psalm 51, I understand it's a time of sin confession here in David, but as I began to go verse by verse, and I began to look at each word and I began to define it and see what the word meant, and looking in the Hebrew and see even more specifically what it meant, even sometimes our English can be so broad and and I was just trying to, to, to glean some things from the Word, God began to feed me. began to give me just, uh, just food, spiritual food from the Word of God. And I enjoyed this study. And the Lord said, this is, what you, this is what I want for, for Sunday night. You ever, you ever feel dirty from sin? You ever feel nasty, feel unclean? And you need your God. And you need your cleansing. You need cleansing from your God. That's what David's crying out for right here. Now, we know, most of you would know, Bible students in here, and a lot of you would have the title here before verse 1 uh, that, uh, that declares that it's David when Nathan the prophet comes to him after a baby had been born. And then Nathan had come to David. So some time had passed. And David, a man after God's own heart, God said that Himself. That here's a man that walks with me. It's after my heart. Here's a man that's in tune with me. And yet, for at least nine months, maybe longer, maybe a year, he's not been right with God. And I want you to see what he says here. Because you and I are sinners just the same. Let's look at this passage, please. This is Psalm 51. I don't plan to go through it very quickly at all, but uh, we'll just get through verse 7, possibly. We'll see what the Holy Spirit does. If you're used to Wednesday nights, you'll know that I make no promises. (laughs) We'll see what God does here. Look Look what he says. Have Mercy upon me, O oh God. He's not. Uh, he's, David's not here in, in sight of everybody. He's not up on the platform. He's not like the Pharisees in the temple. And he's not got his arms all stretched out going, Oh, look at me. Oh, look at me. Have mercy. No, this is David on his face before God. This is David in his private time with God saying, God, I need your mercy because I'm unclean. Notice he says, upon me. See that wording there? Have mercy upon me. Notice in in the end of the verse 1, it says, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression. It's not... David's not saying, oh, forgive Israel, though there's time and place to do that. Many of the prophets of the Old Testament would ask for uh, corporate sin confession and confess the sins of the people. But here David's saying, no, it's not my people. It's not my family. It's not my brothers and sisters in Christ tonight, it's me. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brothers, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And David here is about to confess before God over his own life. And this is David, the hand-picked of the Lord. This is David, the man after God's own heart in whom he said, you're going to be the next king, you're going to lead my people. You will be the one that will pen much of the Psalms of Israel. And this is David confessing sin. Notice he says, have mercy. Have mercy upon me. Now as I began to think about that word mercy, I began to consider, you know, oftentimes we say grace in the New Testament. God, it, it, we're for about, we are saved through, by grace through faith. Yes, by grace, God's given us grace. But yet, David's crying out mercy here. And oftentimes, I take the word grace and mercy, and it's easy for us to get them mixed up. It's easy for us to think almost like they're the same thing, but they're not. Many of us would understand that grace, we've heard it preached, we've heard it said, is unmerited favor, Right? It's it's something that God has given us that we don't deserve. But if grace is something that God has given us that we don't deserve, mercy is God withholding something from us that we do deserve. Consider that for a moment. Mercy is God withholding something from us that we do deserve. You know, sin, of course, sin, the wages of sin is death. We understand that. Sin deserves death in hell. But sin also brings great shame, doesn't it? Consider your life tonight. Consider my life tonight. If all of the everything I've ever thought, everything I've ever done, everything that's ever been hidden in secret was broadcast on the screen tonight, I'd be in great shame. And I believe so would you. Because we're rotten old sinners. And praise God for the mercy He's had on this old sinner. Because I know who I am. I don't think any of us can escape that. We know exactly who we are. And praise God for His mercy tonight. He says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness." according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Multitude. Consider that. God is an infinite God. He's Almighty God. There is no end to Him. There is no beginning to Him. But I'm a finite creature. If my sins were as many as the hair that I have on my head, then my God's mercies, that multitude of mercies, are as the stars of the sky or the sands of the sea. Innumerable innumerable. Praise God for that. The multitude of thy tender mercies. When I looked up that word tender mercies, I'm trying to understand what's the difference. He said, God have mercy on me and he's giving thanks for his tender mercies. Now tender mercies has the idea of a mother with a child in her womb. There's a there's a tenderness there. There's a there's an anticipation. I, I'm ready to see this child. I'm I'm looking forward. There's a parental protection there and and, and comfort and 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 mercy on that child. Uh, not, I'm not talking about today when this world is evil and wants to kill them all. That's not of God. But I'm talking about a real mother that loves that child that God has given her and that tender mercy there. And he's it's it's as if God looking down on one of His own and saying I love you. And have mercy on you. You're mine. You're mine. And David says, "Blot out my transgressions." Notice that verse one, the end of verse one. Blot out my transgressions, he says. Now I used to think that blot out was as if uh, as if you had written something on a page, and you take maybe a black magic marker and you and you blot it out or you scribble it out. That's what I used to envision when I'd think blot. I, I, I think about the old quills when they dip it in there and, and get the ink on the end of it and actually make blots and, and cover it and completely blot it out. But that's not what that word meant. As I looked it up and I was studying it, to the definition in the Hebrew of the word blot out is literally to, to wipe away or to, or to scrub out, like to make it gone, as if, as if uh, teachers in here, we can envision a whiteboard. And if something's written on a whiteboard, we take a wet cloth and we literally just wipe it away and you can't see it any longer. It's gone. And that's what David's crying for here. He's saying, blot out my transgressions. Make them gone, Lord. As you have mercy on me, make them gone. Don't just cover them up, but make them gone. He says in verse 2, wash me. I didn't realize that Brother Williams is always teaching me things. That doesn't say thoroughly, does it? It says throughly. And I've re- always read that thoroughly. thoroughly. It takes this brother Williams, of all people, a Buckeyes fan, to teach me that. Amen. Wash me th- throughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Are you noticing that he's using different words here for sin? He's got transgression he uses. He's got iniquity he uses and he's got the word sin. Why does he use the different words here? You think they, you think that was on purpose? Does, does God do something by accident and say, oh, that just sounds good? Let's use a synonym here. No, God's God's word is perfect and on purpose. And I believe that, and the, and the word of God backs that up when I read Psalm 12 and how it's pure. As silver tried in a a furnace of earth, purified seven times, and how he's preserved it for me on purpose. And so, as I consider that, I think, Lord, what's the difference between a transgression and an iniquity? Between iniquity and sin. And as I was looking up these words, the word transgression here literally means a revolt or rebellion against the law, it means to break away from authority. So what David is saying here, he's saying, Lord, forgive me of what I knew better. I knew better. I know what your law says, and yet I did contrary to that. I went against what your word, what your law has said, and I broke away from the authority laid down in front of me. That's what he's saying with that word transgression. And then he says, wash me truly with mine iniquity. Now, iniquity is a different word here. It means evil and perverse it means morally crooked now we know if you understand what David has done here it surely was evil and perverse it was morally crooked just like many of us in our thoughts these days Lord forgive us amen an idle mind is the devil's workshop let us be cautious, let us be careful. Lord, clean my mind. Purify me. Wherewith also the young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. You gotta flush that junk out. You gotta flush it out by getting in the word. Getting some influence from the pure word of God right here, and get that junk out of our heads. Because it's evil, it's perverse, and it's crooked. David saying. Not only did I go against God's law, not only did I go contrary to what He has said is right, but yet I've been wicked and evil and perverse. And then he uses the word sin here. And sin is, you've heard it before I'm sure, to miss the mark. Sin is to offend and to require payment because of that. Now, if you think about missing the mark... I am a sinner because I was born into sin. I can't help that. I am a sinner. But I also choose to sin after that. But this is the idea with a sin is, I've missed the mark. I'm not perfect. But because I'm not perfect, the definition of that word literally means that there is a payment required. As, we, as you consider Genesis chapter 4, I believe I preached on it a few months ago, where God told... Cain, when he brought his fruits and his vegetables before him and offered a sacrifice that was not pleasing to God, he said, sin lieth at the door. And often in the, in the, in the Hebrew here, the same Hebrew word is used for sin as it is used for sin offering. The word sin in itself means to, to not be perfect, to miss the mark. But it also means that there is a payment required. And when God told Cain that sin lieth at the door, He said, your sin is before you, but so is the payment for your sin. There's a way out. And so David here, understanding these things, he says, "He says, I'm a sinner. I was born into it, but I chose to transgress the law. I chose to be evil and perverse. I chose to be morally crooked. In verse two, he says, "Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." I was trying to again. I'm trying to understand these things as I read this verse here. I see the word "wash" and I see the word "cleanse." Again, is God in the in the business of just using synonyms because He wants to be a little bit have some variety, or is there a reason for these words? And so, as I up, I was looking up the word "wash" and I, I realized that The literal definition of the word means to trample. It means to trample. As if we were doing laundry, not in our modern day machines. We put it in there, praise God, you stuff it as full as you can, right? With all the colors. Because you only want to do one load these days, right? Just jam it in there. Pour as much as you can on top. Hope for the best. No? That's not how you do it. Okay, all right, good. Um, There used to be a day before these machines where obviously we understand that people would take their clothing and they would put it in a pot of water and they would literally trample on it and beat the clothing as in an agitator would and beat the clothing getting the soul to come out of the garment. Later, beyond that, in the Roman days, they didn't always put soap in there, it was just water. But later, after that, putting soap and other things in there that would help and, and, and the process to, to be more. And yet, even in, in still even more modern days, before we had machines, we had the, the, the ribbed board there that you'd take your garment and you'd slop it with soap and you'd go down it like this and beat the soul out of it. It was a difficult process to be trampled out. And he's saying, he's saying to God, wash me like that. Trample me out. Get the soil, the iniquity, the junk out of my life. He moves from that, from wash to cleanse. To cleanse. To, the word cleanse here means to make bright or pure. What do we do when we're washing clothes when we need the whites to get a little whiter? We put some bleach in there, don't we? Put something in there that it can be a little bit harmful if you put too much. Can be a little bit difficult if we used it wrong. It can be difficult and hurtful. But yet, what David is saying here is, God, do what is necessary. Do what you have to do to get me clean. You ever been there? the weight and the guilt of sin on your life and you're crying before God and you know that you're not right with God, you know it seems it seems as if you, when you pray, your prayers are just hitting a metal, metal ceiling and they're bouncing right back down to you. Like you cannot feel the presence of God because there's obviously something going on. That's not God's fault. God's perfect. He never changes. That's my fault. That's our fault. When we can't get through to God, when there's a, when there's a problem there, it's sin in our life. And David, he's realizing that and he's begging God and he's saying, do, Lord, do what is necessary to get me clean again. Cause I'm dirty. I'm a rotten old sinner here. Notice verse three here. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Why, oh why, we want to live in our sin and that weight of guilt upon our life continually day after day after day. I've been there where I'm looking over my shoulder waiting for it to come after me. You've been there, many of you. Living in sin, looking over your shoulder because you're guilty. And David said, it's ever before me. Anything I do and anywhere I go, I see it on the faces of my children. I can see that they were disappointed in their daddy because I messed up, and there's shame on me. I can see it in Joab's face when I when I called for that order for them to put Uriah on the front line and back away. I can see it on his face, and my guilt is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. Why well, we don't we ought not to live like that ought not to live with that guilt and that weight of sin on our life day after day after day looking over our shoulder it, it, it'll drive you nuts and yet the devil will use it to beat you up and tear you down and tell you you are no good rotten old uh, not, you're nothing and you are but yet we're under the blood and we ought to claim that amen don't live in guilt don't live in that sin get it confessed get it Get right before God. Get clean. David's saying, I acknowledge it, Lord. I know it's mine. I can't escape it. I can't escape it. Verse 4, notice this. He says, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hadn't David sinned against Uriah? He took the man's wife. She's, about to, she's with child. And yet, then he, put, he tried to cover it up and bring Uriah home. That didn't, that didn't work. So he put him on the front lines and had him killed. It was clearly a direction of David. Had he not sinned against Uriah? Yes, he had. Had he not sinned against Bathsheba and against his, his wife and against his children and against that baby? But yet here... He says, Lord, I got to get right with you. When we realize who God is and who we are in his presence, everything else fades away. Because what, what oftentimes we don't do, Christians, is we don't consider the relationship. Of us to God. We're so busy with everybody else and busy right here on earth that, we, that we're, not, we're not considering the sin against a holy God. Many people forget that God is holy. We like to talk about and preach about how He's, how he's uh, merciful and gracious and how He saved our soul, but God is also holy. He is perfectly holy. And He expects us to live in holiness. And David says, God, I've sinned against you. It was you that I sinned against. We've forgotten that. We're not not always sorry for what we've done. We're not always looking to repent for what we've done. We're just sorry for the consequences and the shame with other people. But yet, we ought to stand before a holy God and realize it's God I've sinned against. It's a holy, righteous God that I've sinned against. David's crying out to him. He says, Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Justified, of course, we know what this word means. We are justified in his sight when we receive Christ. As Savior, The blood has already been shed and then God, when we get saved, applies it to our account and He declares us righteous. To be justified means to be right or to be righteous. And what David here is saying, he's saying, Lord, I know I know it's against You that I've sinned. I'm acknowledging that. I am saying I know my sin so that when You speak to me and when You pour out Your judgment, You're in the right. a shame when mankind tries to blame God on all these things, tries to blame God for circumstances and for, for judgment. God has never changed. My Bible says that, I know that, and yet so often we get angry and bitter towards God when it's us that needs to change, needs to come back to where God is. And uh, he's saying, God, that you're, you're righteous, you're justified, you're You're clear. That word clear means pure, means clean, means innocent. Verse 5 Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Speaking about that a little bit this morning, I'm a sinner because my parents were sinners. I have the bloodline my father and his father before him and his father before him and his father before him I know my parents are in here now I'm calling out my parents are sinners so are yours Amen because we're all sinners And what David is now acknowledging here he's saying he's saying that I was a sinner from the beginning I sin I am a sinner I couldn't escape that But yet, I'm also a sinner by choice. I'm a sinner by birth, but I'm a sinner by choice. And he's acknowledging both things in this text here before God. This is a very intimate thing between him and God. Please don't, again, please don't, David's not standing up in front of everybody and and, and doing this big show. This is a tearful, intimate prayer of sin confession before a holy God right here. Something that all of us should consider. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. The inward parts is talking about the inward me. It's talking about my heart. It's talking about my soul that nobody else knows but me and God. What does God say about that? Jeremiah 17, 9, It's desperately wicked. Can he say that? Who can know it? My heart is desperately wicked. It's amazing here that a man, even like David, and even like preachers of years past, and, and people that are saved and, 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 and know the truth, and yet how soon and how quick we can put all that aside because we're running after our passions and the fire coming out of our heart. You with me now? How quickly we set aside logic and truth because of our heart is chasing after something and we follow it. This world tells you to follow your heart, chase your heart. Young people and, and, and moms and dads and, and senior saints in here, don't you believe that for one second? That's not of God. God says the opposite. Don't you follow your heart. It doesn't matter what you're feeling. You do what's right. Amen. Well, yeah, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, these, these, whether it's movies or it's books or it's magazines or whatever, you follow your heart. Oh, it's just that, that fire's going out and that flame's going out. Oh, and you look for somebody else. That's not Bible. That's not Bible. If that's what I was supposed to do, then in the, if that's what we were supposed to do, no marriage would last past a year. Because you know your heart. And one day it thinks this, and one day it thinks that. And we do what's right, and we do what's true. Yes, amen? Because God said so. We don't follow our feelings and follow our hearts and all this. And David here, he's saying, I should have known, I des- you desire God, truth in my inward part. And yet I was following after my heart. I was following after that which wasn't right, because I felt something and I went after it. And yet, and in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. God, you're convicting my heart right now and teaching me that I should have followed truth. The Holy Spirit of God convicts us, convicts us of sin. We realize from the inward man, we're supposed to be renewed every day, right? The Holy Spirit of God in our life convicting sin. We don't get changed from the outside. We get changed from the inside as the Holy Spirit of God is using the Word of God to change me. Amen? As Paul said, renewed by the inward man. Verse 7, notice this Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. To purge is to purify, to get, to, 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 Get it out of there. Get that junk out of me and purify me with hyssop. Now, hyssop was a plant in the Middle East. It was a small shrub that would oftentimes grow on walls. If you think about a stone wall and a plant would grow out of there sometimes. And it was a small shrub. And they would break that off and they would use it in the ceremonial law. And they would use this shrub. They would literally dip it in the blood... And they'd sprinkle the blood with this, with this hyssop. And so the first time we see it in scriptures, it, it's actually uh, Exodus chapter 12. You remember what they apply blood to? To the doorpost. And if you look in Exodus chapter 12, God says, you take the hyssop. And you take that blood with the hyssop and you smear it on the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I shall pass over you. Amen. And they're, used, they're supposed to use this, this shrub, this little plant, and apply the blood. And he's saying right here, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. He's saying, As I need the blood of Christ. That's the picture. We understand that when Israel applied the blood to the doorpost and they came out of Egypt, that was a picture of salvation. Jesus Christ saving them by the blood coming out of the world. A picture of what Christ would do one day on the cross. That's why the Passover meal was instituted that night. That picture again of Christ. That unleavened bread and all of that. That grape juice is a picture of His blood. And He's saying here, purge me with hyssop. He says, I need the blood of Christ. David, of course, is before that. He's looking forward to the cross. He's got daily, regular sacrifices with the, with the lamb that he's supposed to do in the temple. And I'm sure he did a lot of that, but he's looking forward to the cross. He's looking forward to the time where Jesus would do it once and for all. And he says, purge me with hyssop. But it doesn't end there, does it? Notice again, right here, this, God was teaching me with this. I needed this here. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. I need the blood. But then he says... Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. There's two parts here. He says, I need the blood. It's under the blood. I need my sins to be forgiven. But yet I need some, I need some washing too. We don't normally bathe in blood. We don't normally get clean in blood. And I was trying to comprehend this And uh, trying to understand that there's two parts. Why is it that if we are saved and our sins are under the blood and Jesus Christ has washed our sins away, then why is there a constant need for sin confession? I was trying to understand that. Would you go with me, please, to John, the book of John and verse 13. John 13, please. Praise God for his shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. My sins are paid for. I'm bought with a price. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I am saved and bought with a price. He paid the price for my soul when his blood, when that, when that soldier pierced uh, right underneath his ribcage and went up and hit his heart. And that, that, that sack around the heart was pierced and his heart and the blood and the water came out. That's what the Bible says. And he did that for me, and my sin was paid for. I was bought with a price. But why do we have 1 John 1 9? Thou shalt confess thy sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice John chapter 13. This is. At the Last Supper here, he's, it's the Passover meal, and he's teaching, he's instituting the Lord's table here, John 13. Notice what he says in verse, verse 4. It says, He riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon... Peter, and Peter said, saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. He's saying to Peter, I'm painting a picture. And you might not understand it now, but you are going to understand it. Because here tomorrow I'm going to be on a cross. That's what he's saying here. Verse 8 Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's saying, God, don't just stop at my feet. Come on, get all of me. I'm in this thing. I'm 100%. You wash all of me. Notice what he says here. Jesus saith unto him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but it's clean ever wit. And ye are clean, but not all. Okay? Jesus Christ knew that when He died on the cross and He shed His blood, that that would be once and for all to make us clean and to, and to, to save us uh, from our sins and to wash us white as snow. He knew that. He says that right there. So then why is He washing the disciples' feet? If you consider for a moment the time and the day in which they lived in, they lived in the Roman era. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem you would notice, Brother Kidwell, I don't know if they showed you this or not, but near the temple, near, I, I want to say the south side of the temple, but I could be mistaken there, okay? If, near the temple there, there was, a, there was a place for a community bathhouse. That was a Roman thing where people would come and there was literally stairs that would go down into a pool of water where you would go down and you would cleanse yourself, you'd wash yourself before you went into the temple. And uh, and that was a common practice where you could go to this place and get clean. This co- this community bathhouse, this thing like that, and they would they would literally go in there and cleanse themselves and get clean. We need to be clean. If you don't take a bath regularly, you should start. Amen. It's necessary. Get cleaned up. Get the junk and the filth and the stench off you. Right. But here it is in the Roman days. Consider they walked a lot of places. They wore sandals on their feet. Their feet would get dirty. They might go to this bath place, this, this, this place of cleansing, or even at home. But then they would travel to the next place, and though they're clean because they bathed, their feet are dirty. That's why Jesus washed the feet. They came to dinner and they said man, he says, Man, your feet are dirty. You might be clean. Your body might be clean. You might have been cleansed by the blood of Christ, but your feet are still dirty. Notice, go with me to Ephesians chapter 5, please. Let me make sure that's the right place. Ephesians chapter 5, it is. Ephesians 5. Go with me over there. Ephesians chapter 5. Here, Jesus Christ is, you is. We're seeing the picture of Jesus and the church as a, as a picture of, hu, of, of husbands and wives as a picture of Jesus and the church, and vice versa. Here, in uh, in the latter part of verse five of chapter five, Ephesians five. Look at verse twenty five, please. Look at verse twenty five. The Bible says, "Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it." What happened when He gave Himself for the church? That's when He died on the cross. That's when He shed His blood. Notice verse 26, that He might, what? Sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. Wait a minute. He died on the cross and He washed it with water? No, He shed His blood on the cross. And it did forgive us of sin, and it did pay for a soul. But notice he, he says here that he might sanctify. And The word sanctified is to make holy. Jesus Christ has made us holy because of the blood of Christ. When, when God looks at us, he looks at us pure and holy, white as snow, because of the blood of Christ. He's sanctified us. He's made us pure. But it didn't stop there. Notice. And cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. What's he saying? He's saying Jesus Christ wants us to get clean. He wants us to get clean with the Word of God, getting cleaned up, washing our feet on a daily basis. Because though we are cleansed, and though we took a bath and we got clean on a regular basis, we got sin in our life and we got to wash our feet. That's what he's saying right there. Too often we've we've got Christians that are living life And they're saying, well, I'm saved. It's all under the blood. I can do whatever I want. No, that's not the way my Bible reads. No, because I serve a holy, righteous God that demands that I be holy as He is holy. And though I have been saved, and it's been at some time now, and praise God for that, 1989 is when I accepted Christ, and that blood was applied to my account. But ever since then, this imperfect self of mine, I surely messed up. I've sure done wrong from time to time, from every day. And I don't know about you, but every day I've got to get on my face before God, and I've got to confess some sin, I've got to get my feet washed. I got, yes, I'm clean and I'm washed. I think I smell all right. But I got to get my feet clean. I got to get my feet washed. You with me now? And Jesus got down on his hands and knees, the master, to the disciples and said, I'm going to wash your feet. Because though, though you're saved, that your faith has been counted for righteousness sake, you've got some sin in your life you need to confess. And you got to get clean. Notice here, he says, I want to sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. How do we get clean? How do we get sin con- confession? We get in this word right here, and he washes us with the word. He pinpoints some things in our life that we need to change and do right, and we get clean and we confess the sin that he points out to us from the word. Why else would we have 1 John 1.9? If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, right? To forgive our sin, He did that on the cross and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that happens on a regular basis on a man before God saying, Lord, I'm a sinner and I've messed up. I've done this and I've done this. And I acknowledge my sin before a holy, righteous God. And I beg for your forgiveness. I beg for your cleansing. That's what David's doing right here. David, assuredly. surely... This man was a a man that was about the worship of God and the temple. He wanted to build the temple. He was in the time of the tabernacle. And we see that he would have had the time of sacrifice and his heart was after God. He would have seen the shedding of of those lambs for his account, for that looking forward to what Jesus would do on the cross one day. But yet he's saying, God, me, a sinner, I need to confess some sin. Because you're pinpointing some things in my life. And God was teaching me this. Now, I've already have a regular time of sin confession on a daily basis, because I know my heart, and I know my life. And I know what this mind thinks. I know what these eyes see and what this mouth speaks. I know the intentions of my heart and my attitude behind it sometimes. I know you don't like to hear it, but your pastor is a sinner. And my unrighteousness can get in the way of me with God. And how am I going to be used of God to lead a people to do right and know that this is what God wants for the church and know this is what God wants for the Sunday morning or Sunday night service or what he wants with the church finances this week or what he wants with a decision here or a staff member here or a school thing here? I've got to be right with God. I can't fool around with this thing of sin. I can't go on in this thing and let a year pass and have this sin and this guilt and this weight on me without communication with God. I can't do that. And neither can you, Dad. Your family's dependent on you to lead them. To lead them in righteousness. And yet here we are just in sin. can't do that, Mama. Young person, Grandma, Grandpa, whoever, we're sinners and we need to confess some sin before a holy God. I think about I think about Mrs. Kane. I think about Mrs. Newman recently. I think about others. They go in for a tragic thing, all of a sudden thing. Oh, I've got a little pain here and all of a sudden there's, there's blood clots and my life is in jeopardy here and all this and they're calling for their preacher, they're calling for their pastor. Would you pray for me? And here I am, supposed to be able to get a hold of God and I'm in my sin. Shame on me. when we call on our friends and we say, would you pray over this thing? This thing's burdening me. This thing's hurting me. This thing has happened in my family. How are my sins going to get through? Or how are my prayers going to get through when they're just all this weight of sin and they're just like bouncing off the ceiling? Because my sin has separated between me and my God. Isaiah chapter 59. It says that He will not hear. Church family. Church family. Let's get right with God. Let's be a David tonight. Say, I acknowledge my sin. It's ever before me. And God, I need to get right. I need to. I need there to be an open relationship. And later in the chapter, he goes on and he says, Lord, I need restoration of the joy that I once had because I've been in my sin so long, it sucked it right out of me. And I've been walking in my flesh and all that. Right now, he's just confessing this sin. He's just saying, I'm unclean and I need to get Right. Let me not stay in that sin and that weight. Let me get it right before a holy God. Would you stand with me tonight? Lord, help us now, please. Thank You for this Scripture, Lord. Thank You, God, for a man like David. Lord, You used this passage of Scripture for me to see a man after God's own heart confessing sin before You. And Lord, He acknowledged it. He confessed it. He had to get these things right before before you, God. And I pray that we would take this Scripture and we would apply it to our own lives tonight. Because not a single person in this sanctuary tonight, bottom floor or balcony alike, or watching on the Internet, Lord, none of us are are without sin. For all have sinned and come short unto the glory of God. And I need you, Lord, tonight. And we need you as a church family, as as individual families, as husbands and wives tonight, as individual souls, Lord, as me, as, a, as just me right here, my soul, Lord, I need cleansing tonight. I pray, God, please, that you'd help us to meet with you tonight. Thank you for your altar. Thank you for ever allowing us to come before the throne of grace and ask for help in this time of need, Lord. We come before you tonight begging for forgiveness and, Lord, we want to get clean tonight. And I ask you to do your perfect work in this invitation Thank you Lord. The piano plays. The altars open. Would you come? Would you come now? Let's not Let's not hold back from the Lord. Let's let's get this stuff taken care of. Come on. All every single person in here, we're all sinners. Well, they're going to see me. What are they going to think? It don't matter. We're all sinners. Ain't nobody's absent. We're heads about anyway. Let's get let's let's do business with God tonight. Would you come? Let's get clean. Let's get right. Church family, I'll have you be seated. Lord, thank you for this invitation.